The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Hello and welcome to the Massage Podcast, episode 38. I'm your host, Dawn Adkins, along with Elaine Kalenda, our expert, and Jorge the Talking Jalapeno. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not. We are here today in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, and we have a special guest today, Susan G. Salvo, who I'm going to tell you about in a minute. You can find us at massagepodcast.com online. You can contact us, of course, on our contact page. You can also leave a voicemail or send a text message to 303-656-9860. Come chat with us during our live recordings. And of course, we are on Facebook and Twitter. I just would like to share a little message that was sent to us about our podcast because we're kind of proud of this. And we have a message here that a new massage therapist in Arkansas loves the podcast. She went to school in Arkansas that she and she since realized that wasn't such a great program. And she's so inspired to listening to us that she wants to pursue continuing education at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy. I'll do it to increase her skills and feel more confident in her work. And that is wonderful, and I'm glad that she is getting something out of this podcast. We talk a lot about massage and everything involved in it, and we're obviously episode 38. There's a lot to talk about, and I think there's more. Oh, yeah, tons more. We always just come up with something, it seems like. <laughs> so let's say hello to Susan and she is talking to us from California on the phone today. She from Louisiana. Oh, she's in Louisiana. Right? Are you in Louisiana, Susan? Hey. <laughs> Where in Louisiana are you? Uh, Lake Charles. Okay. My dad lives in Lafayette. <laughs> I know it very well. Yeah, Louisiana's a great state. Great if state. you guys have not been there, please go because it's unlike anything in the US. Um, so Susan is a massage therapist with 30 years of experience and an author. Susan has written several best-selling massage textbooks, online courses, and instructional YouTube videos. She's currently working on her master's degree in educational leadership and instructional technology. Susan was a task force member for the Massage Therapy Body of Knowledge Project, which I'm, we're going to ask you about. Oh, yeah. And she's on the advisory board for the American Pregnancy Massage Association. And in 2011, Susan was named Teacher of the Year during the World Massage Festival. Mm. She holds membership in several prestigious associations and societies and is very passionate about massage therapy and massage education, we're lucky to have you on the show, and welcome, Susan Salvo. Thank you, ladies. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Well, yeah, uh, Susan is um, one of the uh, pathology mavens, okay? Now, there's not a lot of people out there that specialize in that particular part of the massage therapy realm, uh, 
uh, we've had uh, Ruth Werner on the show. Susan, of course, you know Ruth from way back as well. Oh, yes. And um, she also has a very uh, good book out. Um, but I love your pathology book. It's something that I open up regularly before I walk into a classroom. So give us a little bit of background on yourself and, and how you get, we always interested on how people found, you know, what their journey was. Talk to <laughs> us about how you got into massage and, and why, you know, your passion for pathology and, and how that first book happened. Okay, well, I received my first massage in about 1980 and I was pregnant for my first child. And um, I had not even considered the profession before, but laying there receiving a massage, I just kind of felt a bomb go off in my head that I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life and enjoying that profession. And I made a decision pretty much that day, and I have never regretted it since. Mm. Um, At the time, I was in nursing school when I got my first massage and I was sitting in the classroom and we had a physical therapist who was lecturing at the class and something he said to me just totally hit me like a ton of bricks and he said basically that there's a huge gap between the hurting patient and the surgeon's knife and that physical therapy fit that gap very nicely. Mm. And at the time, and this is this is still the case in Louisiana, I'm not quite sure about other parts of the country, but uh, to see a physical therapist, you have to have a prescription from a medical doctor. Yep. And uh, it's, it's called restricted access. Mm. And I knew that what the, the tools that a massage therapist has is so beneficial to such a wide range of populations and a wide range of problems because as you know Elaine most of our most muscular pain is um, is ischemic in nature and mm-hmm. um, at least the research that we have suggests that right and massage is such a wonderful therapy for that and with a massage license or massage training and then leading to licensure um, I just really feel like that we fit the gap that gap between the hurting client and the surgeon's knife. Knife, that's such a really, no, that would have hit me like a ton of bricks too. I mean, that's that's really it, isn't it? That that you mentioned so many populations kind of hanging out there and, and the, the medical world doesn't know what to do with them. And, uh, and we really are, f- uh, thank goodness, more mis- people are receiving massage than ever before. And uh, you're getting that kind of client that is is coming to us and saying, well, I've been, you know, to 12 different doctors and, I, and they weren't able to help me or they were only able to help me so far. But the, the massage is what's bringing me back into my life. Uh, I totally agree. And, it's for, and education just seems to me to be such a, a perfect fit for massage because really what the word therapist means is to serve and we serve with our hands but also a big piece of the therapeutic puzzle is uh, teaching clients how to take care of themselves and so so notice I use the word teaching right. so f- when you're teaching clients how to sit properly in a chair or teaching them how to make better uh, life, life care choices or how to use ice or heat um, all of a sudden uh teaching became part of the therapeutic arena that I wanted to fit in. And I, I started teaching and I realized I had a knack for it. And I can, I can definitely work all day in the massage room and be thrilled with, with what I'm doing. But I found that in this profession that I, that I fell in love with in the 80s, that I was able to do more good, the, the ripple effect, if you want to call it that, um, in a classroom. 
So uh, mm-hmm. I started teaching what uh, what I knew in the classroom, and then all of a sudden I realized that I was able to, um, you know, basically. Uh, affect the profession on a broader scale. And mm-hmm. with textbook writing uh, and with the internet like you're doing t- today, and we are able to reach even a wider audience and, and more positively affect the profession. So I think that it's a huge, huge benefit, uh, you know, t- teaching is. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad to be here and thank you for inviting me. Well, certainly. Now, where did you go to massage school? Um, the New Mexico School of Natural Therapeutics Wow, in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque? Mm-hmm. Hmm, is that school still there? Yes, it is. In fact, I visited it last year when I was taking a trip to New Mexico and Taos and uh-huh. doing rafting and hot air ballooning, the things that I love to do in New Mexico. Right. Um, we went by the school and I was able to address a class and it was really a lot of fun. They were using uh, my, my textbooks, of course. Oh, and nice. <laughs> I was able to talk to them a little bit about the online course that goes with the pathology book. And that was fun to see them get so excited and so interactive with um with online materials. Well, I'm sure they're... With the games and with the activities and stuff. Uh-huh. I'm sure they're proud that one of their alums has, you know, become so successful and and that your book is like in its... which What's it, uh, the edition of it now? The um, first book, uh, Massage Therapy Principles and Practices, is, is in its fourth edition. Wow. And the pathology book will be released in a few... Uh, in a few... Um, Sorry about this. Uh, months, and it will be in its third edition. Third edition. Okay. All right. So it's just a wonderful book. If you want to learn more about pathology and see what it's all about as far as massage therapists are concerned, every massage therapist needs to have, needs to have at least one good pathology book in the office at all times so that, you know, clients come in. Uh, a lot of times they may have a diagnosis. They may not. And... Even if they have a diagnosis, a lot of times they'll come in and say, my doctor tells me I have some kind of plantar, plant, I can't pronounce a fascicle or, you know, <laughs> and it's great when we can sit there, open a book and show them what's going on with them so that they're educated so they can make better choices for themselves. And so they really start to learn about themselves and they can, you know, we can, people can take such good care of themselves if they have a little bit of knowledge. And people are like, a little knowledge can be a scary thing. You know, the heck with that. Everybody yeah. needs to know a little bit more about their bodies. I totally agree. Susan, can you tell us about the Massage Therapy Body of Knowledge Project? I've never heard of that before. Sure. You're um, not in education. Now, there's a lot of conversation going on in our industry about um, hours. And about competencies. And so what what happened with the massage therapy body of knowledge is um, the major players, the major organizations out there formed a stewards group because our profession is very unique in that most other professions, the medical profession, the nursing profession, the physical therapy profession, basically has one chief organization. And um, but we in the 80s basically have two at the time. And so if um, the AMTA came out with a body of knowledge, it'd be really hard for the ABMP to embrace it. And likewise, if the ABMP came out with a body of knowledge, that'd be really difficult for the AMTA to embrace it. So knowing that we were at a very unique and important um, part of our history, they decided to form a steward group. Now, the steward group is, is more than just the AMTA and ABMP. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it also includes um, um, 
the Federation for the State Boards of Massage Therapy and also uh, Nick Batemba, the National Certification Board. Oh, and there's one of the group. Oh, the Massage Therapy Foundation, of course. And um, so they, they formed a stewards group. And then from that stewards group, they uh, asked for a they appointed a task force, and I was a one of eight members of the task force, and we had um, three major tasks that we had to perform in 12 months, and those tasks were to, number one, to define massage therapy, because as you know, it is mm-hmm. because of the whole concept of body work and, and very few people, we needed a really good textbook definition of what massage therapy is and what what massage therapy isn't. And of course, that would help inform. The idea was to help inform things like scope of practice for all the states. And then um, the the second task that we had was to outline the entry-level skills, KSAs, the knowledge, skills, and abilities that massage therapists are expected to know. And the third thing was is to provide uh, uh, definitions not just for massage therapy, but things like body work, things like um, therapeutic relationships, things like deep pressure, deep tissue massage. Um, you know, we had we had to provide a common language um, for the conversations that we need to have. And again, we, it took us um, one year to do it. Now, in my opinion, is it's, it's called a living document, a work in progress. Um, it was uh, launched in two thousand and ten. And um, it was just a fascinating one, one of the peak experiences of my professional career to have weekly conversations with some of the most brilliant minds, in my opinion, in our profession. And um, from that, we developed this document. But again, so, so the, the conversation about how many hours do we need to, to create an entry-level program should not come from this arbitrary number of hours. It should be informed by what do we expect for them to know and then from from the knowledge base come up with an, the hours which which we haven't done yet by the way mm-hmm. that that's will be a level two or three uh process so all part of an emerging profession and what emerging professions have to go through in order to really come into the mainstream i mean they say massage is mainstream now but i, I think we we certainly have a long way to go to really grow up as a profession. Wouldn't you agree? I do. In fact, you, you're using some interesting terms I want to I point out. We are not considered a profession. We're considered a trade industry. That's right. And so in order for us to be considered a profession, certain things need to happen. And one of which is to we have to have a body of knowledge. So we have fulfilled that criteria. Um, another very important thing that separates a trade industry from a profession is that we have to have research that supports um, the efficacy of what we do. Now, is that a taxonomy? Explain that. A taxonomy, um, you know, like uh, Karen Sherman had helped and Massage Therapy Foundation developed a taxonomy for massage therapy, which sounds kind of similar to the body, body of knowledge. It defines all the terms. Right. It's, it's probably the same kind of thing. It, it helps inform that process. But what another thing that we need to do, though, is to have the research to support what we do. And this is why we see a lot of emphasis right now on supporting the Massage Therapy Foundation mm-hmm. and also um, to help participate in research, right. whether it's through um, case studies, which is a form of research, or for our funding or participate in the studies themselves. Right. We talk about research all the time on the show. And how important it is and how 
you know, just encouraging practitioners to do case reports as much as possible. It's all very helpful. And to go to the Massage Therapy Foundation website and find out more information. Well, if we're going to ever become a degreed profession, mm-hmm. we, ha- we have to do it. We have to go there. Yeah. What kind of instructional videos do you have on YouTube? Oh, Lordy. I have uh, everything from pregnancy massage to chair massage to uh, a neck and back routine. Um, I do what's called the rainbow technique. Just different stuff. Just It, it started uh, during student clinic when someone said, oh, my gosh, I have a pregnant client coming in. It's been three months since we've had pregnancy massage. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I said, no problem. Here's a camera. Shoot me doing this. It was very, very informal, very candid, very, you know, warm and cozy. And I said, I'll put it up on YouTube video and you can either watch it now or watch it when you're graduated and you can get a good little uh, tutorial. Wow. And then it just kind of built from there. It became very popular as a way for me to network with with other graduates and then – you know, one of the videos uh, on there has almost uh, a half a million hits. Yeah, you're going to go, you're going viral. So I wouldn't call it <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, foot reflexology, just this, this kind of techniques that, that we do. I mean, it's a great way to network and share. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So um, tell us a little bit more about the, now that we've talked about the body of knowledge and other things that you've been involved with that you feel are also very beneficial to helping the profession. Now, you and I worked on a project a few years back. I was at Teaching Massage Book, um, and that, that was pretty good, wasn't it? That was a lot of fun. In fact, it's, it's still evolving. There's still a whole lot that um, uh, AB&P is doing with that series, and it makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a book that was written by, well, it was about 15 or 18 of us and teachers from all over the country, got together and wrote a book called Teaching Massage, and the um, that uh, Lippincott published it, I believe, right? And yes, then it, sure it got was. distributed to uh, a number of massage schools around the country as a way to, again, help to bring us more together as a, a trade, uh, trying to become a profession. And I think a lot of our listeners right now are going, really? We're not professionals? Mm-hmm. You know, um, no, we're not. Technically, we uh, didn't go to uh, degreed programs. We went to technical trade schools and vocational schools for our massage therapy training. I think I think pretty much everywhere. Uh, there may be one or two schools that are associated with the career colleges, but again, it's uh, you know you didn't graduate from there with a, a degree in massage therapy. The only degrees there's a few degrees around that like the one we do in Boulder called an Associate of Occupational Studies degree. And I believe that's the highest degree you can achieve in massage therapy right now. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just Associate I know about. And I hope, we, I hope we do have a tiered system like the nurses do. I think that, that we need to be doing that, you know, soon, if not, you know. If not a sooner. Program. I don't know if we're going to be doing that anytime soon. So we need to come up with what is our next step in our profession. Right. Is there a website? Do you have a website that people can read about you and your programs and contact you at all? Well, uh, yes. I have a um, www.susansalvo.com is a, um, a website that my stepdaughter 
put together for me um, to kind of showcase a little bit about what I have to offer as a, a lecturer and a little bit about my background and the textbooks and stuff. Um, I have a uh, blog called The Massage Passionista. <laughs> if you want to go check that out, um, I can give you the links later. Okay. Yeah, we're going to post them on our website as well so people can readily get to those. The teaching massage book or you're talking about, uh, these are instructors from all over the country. Again, always trying to get together and and build our profession. The um, The research that you're talking about in the second half of what it is we need to do to become a profession uh, could you t- just speak a little bit more about how you and and people that you've talked to, how you see that coming about? Is it going to take another 10 years, another 20 years, another 50 years? Am I still going to be alive? <laughs> you know, I'm always wondering, you know, when am I going to see our profession really get, like, I guess the biggest thing that would that would have to happen is something so that we could be considered, first of all, part of the health professions and then to be a part of getting some third-party reimbursement from insurance companies for what we do, which is very much like physical therapy. And in, in as far as how people are, are re- rehabilitating from what the work that we do. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, the, the research is really going to be the key. And... Um, uh, Joellen Shafton, which is one of the ladies who was on the Massage Therapy Body of Knowledge Project, is a uh, massage therapist who's also a PhD researcher and an athletic trainer. And she contributed uh, two chapters to the fourth edition of Massage Therapy Principles and Practice because um, I felt it was significant that she be the, the voice for this particular section. Mm-hmm. Um, the first chapter was called Research Literacy. And um, that is basically, um, hopefully it's in massage schools now, teaching massage therapists a little bit about how to locate research, um, how to read research, and how to um, apply what they can learn in a clinical setting. But also, which is equally important, it kind of speaks to where I think we need to evolve as a profession as well, is um, we need to be very concerned and and be more uh, scrutinizing about the sources of our information. Um, We need to realize what is a valid and reliable source and what is not. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a big, big push for me. And and I, and I, and I probably, it's probably, that philosophy difference is what separates me from probably 80% of the textbook authors out there right now. It's that I really feel strongly that if we're going to be respected by the medical community, that we need to have our what we're teaching in massage schools looked at and have them sitting at the table, so to speak, mm-hmm. so they can add their input, so they can tell us where we're going wrong and, and, where we're, and, and, and this is the way to go. And so much of the work that I do is informed by the medical profession, not just in the research that I'm doing but conversations that I ha- I'm having right. with them. Right. And we could go off into the whole concept of medical clearance, and I've been listening to some of your podcasts recent, recently, Elaine, and I, I really enjoy the, the, the caliper of person you have on your show and the caliper of, of the types of questions you ask. And that, that's really, really important. Um, but but, but um, So she wrote one section on research literacy, and the second chapter that she wrote is on the effects of massage. And I can send you that link as well. I was able to just take that chapter, um, convert it to a PDF, and and put it on the web. And people can go read just that particular chapter. And Joellen basically showcases 
um, what do we know about massage? And it kind of, it, it, I call it the, the myth-busting uh, chapter. Right. It, it tells us on. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, what what we really do know and what we really don't know right. about the effects of massage. And mm-hmm. and, I, and the way that she writes and the way that she talks and the way that she thinks is, you know, there's a, just because we can't research it doesn't mean that we don't do it, but we just can't we can't use the language that massage does this without the research to back it up. That's exactly right. And that's the thing that's the thing that's going to really uh set us apart and, you know, get us out of the folklore uh of the ages that we've been basing all of our teaching on. I mean, uh, going back to like things like, okay, uh, when I was teaching in, in the early days, you know, telling students, well, massage will push the lactic acid out and, you know, all the things that we used to teach us because that's what we learned uh, from our teachers. It was We never found that information in a book. And then about, yeah. you know, 20 years ago here in Boulder, about 15 years ago, we had a, a teacher come in, Christopher Quinn, and he was like, what are you guys teaching that? Lactic acid doesn't stick around. It's constantly recycled by the, you know, it's not the right way to teach it. And we were like trying to look up physiological effects of massage forever. And what you're finding is a long list of physiological effects with nothing to back it up. No recent research to back it up. In fact, there's a controversial article about how massage doesn't increase circulation. You know, well, drives everybody I, crazy. I disagree. I mean, I disagree. But um, we do have research that proves it. In fact, Joellen is, was one of the researchers that did prove it. So um, I would. Well, that's great. I'm going to read that. I have that book, and I'm going to look up that particular article here at Boulder. We teach students how to read research articles, how to criticize them, how to yes. to discern who did this massage. Was it a physical therapist? Was it a a nurse? Was it a lab technician? You know, it does make a difference. Um, And were they massaging rats? Were they massaging people? Were they, you know, I mean, to really criticize the articles, to learn how to read them and to learn basic research literacy, just to understand what the heck they're reading about. So this is very important in every massage school. I don't care how, if your program is 500 hours Every massage school needs to be doing this. Don't you agree? I totally agree. But but I want to I want to caution one piece of this that I think we have some some of us have become so fanatical about research mm-hmm. that it be, that we have held it as you know the 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 saving grace of our profession. Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you I'm going to tell you a story. So um, there, a researcher came out uh, about uh, he published a, a medical. Uh, article about debunking the whole concept about cortisol and massage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're, you're, you recall. I remember this. some talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So um, when it came out, uh, I contacted Joelle, and we were in the process of finalizing the manuscript. And I said, "Should we change the manuscript according to this new research?" And her comment to me was, "No." She said, "One article that debunks twenty doesn't mean we throw away the twenty. Right." All it means is that we we slowly refine our research. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it changes it dramatically. So I think that it is going to take a slow evolution, like the thing with lactic acid. Right. I mean, you know, it took us, like you said, twenty years, and 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 even the uh, the the scientific. Um, Sports medicine uh, profession is just now getting around to changing that in the textbooks. Right. I mean, that really only came out, what, 20 years ago? In, uh, well, actually, 30 years ago in the 70s. Um, but there's a whole lot. The more we understand what to look for, uh, 
the more we're going to understand what massage does and does, it do, does and does not do on a physiological level. But it does a lot. Yeah. If you go back to the research, the article that I'm mentioning, um, Joellen summarizes that at the end of each section what massage does do. And a lot of what we did teach, it does do. Wow. It does increase things like uh, oxygen saturation count. I mean, so, so we do have a lot of research that backs up a lot of what we're teaching. That's great. I mean, we've just, we have come a long way in a short period of time, though. When you look back the last 10 years, just, to, just by the fact that we have a massage therapy foundation has really um, propelled us in these last 20 years since they've been around, you know? It's really yeah. propelled us. I think they've been around, what, 10 years or 20 years? I think 10 they had their anniversary recently, and I can't remember what year it was. I just throw money at them and hope for the best. Can we talk well, about with pathology the, with the for a minute? Therapy foundation suggests, and I really mm-hmm. like this, yeah. is that every massage therapist donate the equivalent of one massage to them. Right. More if you can, but at least, like if you're charging 70, send them yeah. 70. If you're charging 50, send them 50. If you're charging 120, send them 120. But the equivalent of at least one massage a year. It's just one massage a year will pay for, you know, pay for our massage uh, industry, massage trade, whatever you want to call it for um, many years to come. I mean, we'll give them so many more resources for us to to do research. And what they do with this money is they use it to give grants Mm -hmm. because research is expensive. Yeah. And Joella, in fact, was a uh, grant recipient of a few years ago. So yeah. she has a lot of passion and, and love for the massage therapy profession. Yeah, and they'll do grants of $5,000 for community projects that people may want to get involved with, working with, uh, you know, a community like women in a, a battered shelter. Or uh, we had one where they, in Portland, I think it was, worked with the homeless population. Uh, really beautiful community uh, projects that can be funded if you fill out the uh, paperwork for for the um, funds that are available from a massage therapy foundation and up to 20 and of course uh, probably 20 or 40 thirty thousand dollars for more uh, I would say more um, the kind of research you would do at a clinic or a school you yeah know, I think thirty thousand is their, their I think top that's the limit yeah, yeah we, we got a grant uh, I think of twenty thousand when we did our headache study or a carpal tunnel study one of them they funded. And it's just wonderful oh. to have that money available um, uh, to to do this research. So I was going to say, uh, let's let's talk about pathology for a minute. Here's a, here's a thing where it just happened in my school recently. Um, I was showing students something. What the heck was it? And they were like, "Oh, we were told that could really, you know, hurt someone, or you know, could really." Um, cause somebody to get very ill or you know sometimes people will say you'll hear this with some people i'm not going to mention any kind of techniques they'll say well if you do this the wrong way you could kill somebody (laughs) and and i'm always saying to them why then with all the thousands of people getting massage are people not dropping dead left (laughs) and right so my question to you oh maven of pathology in massage therapy is massage dangerous the short answer is no Okay, but you know, when we were going crazy with the deep vein thrombosis and don't work on, I, that's what it was. Somebody who had a, a leg, you know, cardiovascular disease, the little purple veins, the skin didn't move too well on the leg, and it looked a little thicker and darker than the other leg, you know? Do you run away so from what, it, or do you do something? No, you just treat it as a local contraindication. Mm-hmm. You hear that, boys and girls? 
please, you know, go on, Susan. I mean, you know, really, is, is it dangerous? No. So tell us, I mean, it's, it can be, you know, if you're really rid- doing something ridiculous, you, if you, you can do things the wrong way and make people, there are side effects. Uh, I've sat in, in court and testified on, on, uh, on bruising of the thighs that was just horrible. I mean, horrible. It was like the person used a, a, a what's this called? A rolling pin. A rolling pin mm. on the person. She was very oh, damaged. Lovely. You know. From a so, massage? From a massage. Mm. Too deep and too much. So, yes, there is, you can hurt people, but kill people? Mm. I don't know. I always say it would be the perfect crime. I mean, that's hysterical. How the heck would well, you prove what it? I, what I highly recommend, this is kind of goes back to something I'm very passionate about, is um, the whole consent process, informed consent. Mm-hmm. And um, when we when we disclose to a client all of the benefits and potential risks of massage therapy, um, there are several, and there well, there to me the top two, and you mentioned one already. Bruising, bruising, bruising yeah. Bruising, but, but what happens is. You tell a client that you could get bruised. You tell a client that you could be sore, and you talk about their health. If they're healthier, they can take a more vigorous massage. If, if the, uh, the therapist has a lot of uh, experience with massage therapy, if the client has a lot of experience with massage therapy, all of these are factors. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're taking anticoagulants, you have to factor that that factor that in. It doesn't mean you give them lighter pressure. It's that you disclose to them there's a potential risk of, of bruising. Now, once the client has all of the um, potential risk, then they can choose to authorize it or not authorize it. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yes. To me, okay. you are. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and the same thing, um, if, if, now if the procedure changes, which is, um, guess what? The number one cause of Lawsuits against massage therapists are right now. What? Take a guess. Sexual. That used to be. That's no longer the case. Try again. Burning. Burning from hot stones and cupping. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Burning from hot stones and cupping. So what I'm saying to you is if you're teaching these techniques, that's fine. As long as you're disclosing to the client the possibility of burns. If they understand the risks, then the client can either choose to proceed with the treatment or decline the treatment. But we need to do a better job with um, discussing all of the potential risks with massage, and I don't think we do that enough. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can. I could see that. I can. I could see that how that could happen. Yeah. Because if you have a client who is on anticoagulants and they need deep pressure massage and you say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can only go light, they will probably never talk to you again. I mean, never come to see you again. Right. And they could be coming to you because their doctor, who is not a specialist on pain, um, that's the whole conversation we need to have too about medical doctors is medical doctors do uh, some great work, but chronic pain isn't one of them. Yeah. They don't it's know what to do with you. They just and, tell and, you again, to go but away. That's not their job. Their job pill. is to diagnose. Mm-hmm. Their job is to do surgery and save your life. And their job, yeah, to, and save your life. And their job is to uh, prescribe medications. And that's kind of their scope in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. They don't do therapy. We can't expect them to do therapy. They send them to a therapist for therapy. Right. With a prescription. Therapist. With the, on a prescription pad. 
But this, oftentimes, they will, if, if you go to, to a doctor and you say, I want to get a massage, they will probably send you to a massage therapist for a massage over a physical therapist. Right. Hopefully. That's my experience. I don't know what's going on in your part of the country. Yeah. But clients who say, I want to get a massage, they will send them to a massage therapist. Right. Well, yeah. But um, sometimes doctors will say, well, that you're, you're not healthy enough to get a massage or that might make you worse. Or Sometimes they goof things up. You know, I see, a, I see a lot of times they don't, don't believe in massage. Right. Or they think, well, that won't hurt you. Right. They'll oh, yeah. say, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that won't hurt Swedish you. Swedish massage will relax you at least. Yeah. They don't give it the credence it deserves. <laughs> I know. I had a general practitioner and he bad-mouthed massage. Not only did he not believe in it, he actually thought it was the worst thing somebody could do for themselves. Because he didn't want his muscles feeling like jello. Um, <laughs> he wanted to be able to walk around after the massage. And um, it, I don't see a lot of doctors in my practice. We have a few doctors that come in, but not very many get massages themselves. I see nurses now and then, but they're so oh, busy. Yeah. But um, that going back to educating people, I think we need to educate the medical community more than anybody right now. Yeah, well, we better have the right kind of things to say and, yeah. and, and that proof and that and that and that um, that research behind us before we're going to get anybody's attention, really. Well, and again, uh, the the doctors that I talk to, most of them do get massages in our in our area, and most of them do want what is going to make the client feel better. And to me, massage is pretty low risk. But going back to our original conversation about is massage dangerous, the shorter answer is no. And so, I, and what I tell what I tell uh, clients is that if you have muscular aches and pains, massage is probably your best low risk first thing to do. In fact, my husband had, who's also a massage therapist, uh, said you don't swat a mosquito with a, an atom bomb. So, you know, <laughs> oh, you <laughs> Southerners. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Mike. But um, so massage is almost the perfect first uh, first line of defense. Mm-hmm. So and, and I tell what I tell clients is if you're not and, and I'm pretty bold, if you're not 30 percent better within a week then you're probably, then it's probably not muscular. Then you need to be thinking about another form of therapy. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think if you just realize your limitations and massage isn't going to cure everything, but it, it is fantastic for muscular aches and pains, fantastic for scar tissue. There's a certain things that are, nobody does as good as us. And we've got the research to prove low back pain, you know, massage is one of the top three treatments. Right. And, um, I worked on that one. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go. Yeah, way back when. So, you know, I just think that, you know, we just need to do a better job with with screening clients and, and, you know, informed consent. Um, Let's talk about uh, endangerment sites for a second or what I like to call cautionary sites. Yeah. What what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I like it. I like both terms better than just contraindications. Mm -hmm. The the blanket statement that Mm -hmm. was that's so limiting. Yeah. I'm going to assert that there are really only two. Okay. Would you like to hear what they are? Uh, the eyeball? <laughs> no, go ahead. That's silly. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and uh, in my opinion, and doing all the research that I've done for the textbooks and talking to the medical community, um, the carotid arteries and the uh, abdominal aorta. Okay. Would and you like to know why? Yeah, yeah. Um, the 
the prevalence of having plaque in the carotid arteries with the proper risk factors, advancing ages one, you were talking about special populations before the show, um, smoking, inactivity, and diet, it's probably better to treat all your clients as if that they're over 40, as if they have plaque in their carotid arteries. Mm. Mm-hmm. Period. Just mm-hmm. like almost like a universal precautions kind of kind of uh, position. Mm-hmm. Number one, and, and most of the times the plaque is undiagnosed until there's a problem. So yes. you see the, the the sense of avoiding the carotid arteries. Right now, going to the abdominal aorta, uh, most uh, abdominal aorta a- a- aortic aneurysms are undiagnosed until there's a problem. Right. So why not treat? Why not treat all your clients as if they have an, an abdominal aortic aneurysm? That's always a ca- good cautionary area, especially when you're teaching visceral massage and yeah. and deep massage. And that's psoas uh, areas, um, you know, of course, you should be off the center for doing psoas. But I had the same conversation with David Kent, you know, who's... David Kent was uh, was on me for, you know, showing deep abdominal massage or working on the psoas in one of my classes. I forget where we all were, but he came up to me and he was like, you got to be careful in that abdominal aorta. We're doing so many dissections and we're seeing so many aneurysms and potential problems in that uh, abdominal aorta. You shouldn't be putting any pressure on there and, you know, just going at me like David does so well. And so I said to him, you know, relax, David, please let me assure you that we're not going up in the center on top of the cisterna chile and on top of the spine that way. And on the on the, you know, pulsing um, inferior vena cava, even we're just staying away from that whole area. And we're coming in and um, doing prone psoas work. We were coming in on the iliacus muscle. So please. Don't worry, yeah. you know, we're not killing people here <laughs> again. With all due respect, I have to, uh, I think I'm going to side with, with Mr. Kent on this one. We quit teaching it because it's just not worth it. There's just too many better ways to work the psoas besides going in at it. And i tell you what else I did, Elaine, in my textbooks. I've actually put a, a picture that's in a medical book mm-hmm. to show you the, the proximity between the psoas and the at aorta. And you'd be surprised. I don't mean the psoas major. I meant the iliacus. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was assuring him that we're not pressing on the psoas and on the on the lumbar vertebrae like we used to. You know, yeah. before we had this information, we used to just jump in there like it was a you know a swimming pool and run oh, yeah. around on it. So, and so, tell me about why would uh, uh, anterior throat work? Who who does that? What kind of therapist does that kind of work? Anterior throat work. Oh, anterior throat work. Yeah. Well, we do that all the time for whiplash when there's been a severe whiplash. But, you know, again, it's very, we do it with a lot of caution and we don't press on the carotid artery. We're working on the, the muscles, on the, on the anterior tubercles a little bit, on the facet joints, but not pressure on the artery, certainly. What, um, what I do in my textbooks is I actually, again, out of a medical textbook, I have a cross-section of the throat and I show you just how close the uh, those structures are to the carotid sheath, which is really a sheath that's encased in fascia with all these major structures. And so I just suggest that when teachers do teach this work, that they have this a reference, a, any reference for those structures very nearby, so students have a visual of just how close they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we show so, them on the skeleton. You know, that's a really great way to show 
uh, how close you are when you're working on the, in the skeleton that has the carotid artery that goes through the little sp- spinnacles over there of the of the uh, of the cervical vertebrae and absolutely then we have to try and get them to actually do any pressure on them because we scare them a little too much at first are there any known cases of people dying because of a massage or during a massage no 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 but again these are just that's why they call them cautionary sites mm-hmm. and that's why i don't like to use, i don't like to use the sensational language like dangerous and endangerment i just think that there's no need for that Oh, I just think that you're, I mean, we're, we're talking about the same thing. Right. Just use caution. Be anatomically familiar with what's in there and avoid them because the, because it's just not worth the, again, we're talking about weighing the risks versus the benefits. Right. If there was any case of anybody dying because of a massage, would we have to add that to our body of knowledge? Our body of knowledge, like, uh, you know, this is possible during the massage and even death. Would you still like to get a massage? Did you hear recently about the person that died from craniosacral therapy? Mm-mm. So, no. Craniosacral. Okay. Wow. Yeah. How? So, there is a case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but well, I don't, okay. But then well, that's again, not massage. That's body work. Craniosacral yeah. therapy is not massage. Right. So right. I'm but, sorry, but, you know, I just want to be careful about the terms. I right. got gotcha. you. But how is it, you know, you think the craniosacral therapy, they're not, you're really using pressure. So, how did the person die? Yes, I did not hear about this. I will. I will send it to you. Okay. Okay. But our, our it was an infant. It was an infant um, that some uh, cranial therapy was being done, and again, I'm sure there's always the doubt. But but the published, the published article said specifically that this is happening. So oh, that it wasn't. It wasn't the United States. And in all fairness, it was. It was. I think it was a Sweden or Denmark. I'm again. It's going. If you if you Google it, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Susan, every week uh, we like to give our listeners a tip of the week, and it can be anything you want to say, anything you, any wisdom you'd like to impart on us and our listeners as massage therapists. Um, I really think that we need to be looking at assessment domains when we're doing an intake to formulate treatment plans. Um, what I teach is something called PPALM, P-P-A-L-M. So when you're talking to clients, you can do this verbally or you can do this um, as part of your written intake, depending on what your practice setting is. So uh, people who are in a clinical setting can do this. People who work in a spa setting can do this and get the information that you need to make safe practice decisions. P-P-A-L-M. The first P stands for purpose of session. If your clients that are relaxed, you don't need to be doing a lot of assessments on them, such as range of motion, gait, et cetera, et cetera. So your first question you basically ask the client is, what is your main purpose for being here today? That's the P in the P-palm. Mm-hmm. The second one is pain. You know, basically you're asking about uh, musculoskeletal pain. Um, do you have pain in anywhere in your body? And if the answer is yes, then there's a whole nother section. You start asking them about um, when did it start? What makes it better? What makes it worse? You know, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. That's the second P. Mm-hmm. A is allergies and skin conditions. A lot of your clients are not going to put significance to skin conditions that are not bothersome, such as psoriasis and eczema. So I feel like that part of our intake needs to be asking them specifically, do you have any, and I I like to say topical allergies or allergies to topical agents, Mm because we don't, we don't care if they're allergic to Darvon or penicillin. Right. We're mainly talking about topical agents. Okay. And that's A in the P-P-A-L-M. 
The L is for lifestyle and vocation. You're asking them basically how they use their body each day, right. whether or not they're teaching on their feet, whether or not they're sitting at a desk all day, whether or not they're a postman carrying a heavy uh, bag of uh, letters, mm-hmm. whatever. You're asking them about their lifestyle, if they play golf all the time, if they're a runner. That's the fourth assessment domain. And the last assessment domain is for uh, medical history and medications. Mm-hmm. That's M of the PPALM um, assessment domains. I think that if therapists started asking those kinds of questions, we would be doing a better job mm-hmm. uh, developing treatment plans. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very oh, good advice. Thank you, like Susan. That. PPALM. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? I'm just delighted to be here today, and I hope that you ask me back because I would love to talk more about specific pathologies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can have a whole show on specific pathologies. That'd be great. We sure could, or we're also even thinking about maybe doing a spot once a month. We can, If we can get your time, and if you're interested in doing that, we can get once a month. We do a show every uh, twice a month, so once a month we can do a, a pathology spot. Mm-hmm. How do you like that idea, Don? I like that idea. I like spot. the idea of a whole show, too. Well, we'll do some shows as well, but because there's so much, it's such a big, big um, um, topic, but um, we'd like to also hear from our listeners, too. Would you like Susan Salvo to come back and do a pathology spot once a month? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would. I definitely you know, always hear something that we need to hear mm-hmm. uh, from you, so that I hope you will consider that, and we'll try to make it work. Yeah, every show I learn something new. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, guys. I so much appreciate it, and uh, I can send you those links later, and you can post them, okay? Right, and right. everybody, you've been listening to the Massage Podcast with Susan Salvo from Louisiana, and she has a website, susansalvo.com, right, that explains everything you have to offer and say. And, and textbooks. Textbooks. Fantastic books. Right, and also a blog that we'll leave all the links for on our website at massagepodcast.com. And please, if you you have any questions we have a contact page where you can email us jorge's on it answering all those emails that we get and if he also is the one listening to the voicemails and text messages at 303-656-9860 you can come chat with us during live recordings if you have any questions please join us let's get involved and of course we are on facebook and twitter and now you can download our podcasts on itunes there you go and we also have a donation page. Leave us some cash. We always need that. <laughs> and uh, I'm Dawn Adkins, your host, along with Elaine Kalenda and Jorge Cisneros, our producer. We'd like to thank you again, Susan Salvo, for and coming on the show today. We will have her again, and we will talk a lot about things that need to be discussed. We'll see the rest of you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Susan. Have a great Thanks, day. Dawn. Thanks, Elaine.